All right, how's everybody doing? Welcome to Wednesday. Yes, it's Wednesday. I cannot believe it's Wednesday. Welcome to Chicago Music Revealed. Of course, I'm Mike Jeffers, Chicago Jazz Magazine, chicagojazz.com, and also the Director of Entertainment and Programming at the soon-to-be-opening Epiphany Center for the Arts. I say this every day, but we are getting closer to announcing our full lineup here coming up in September. COVID safe, COVID systems in place. Everyone will be safe when they come there. We are hiring an infectious disease mitigation coordinator even to keep everyone safe that's coming through our doors. It's, of course, at 201 South Ashland Avenue, right there in the West Loop of Chicago. We have three different venues, and the one we're going to activate in September, six nights a week, is called The Sanctuary. Of course, Thursday night's going to be our jazz night, but we have great music all the other nights. For more information, visit epiphanychi.com. Hit us up, leave us a note, join our email list, be the first one to get some of those ticket updates. We are going to be setting up a full live stream platform as well. So stay tuned for all that information. We are going to be announcing stuff next week. So get ready. And of course, you'll hear it first here on Chicago Music Revealed. Well, hopefully everybody's doing well. Uh, this rollback is uh, hurting some of the clubs here. We're going backwards a little bit. Unfortunately, the mill, the green mill, they're going to be closing after tomorrow night when the rollback goes because for some reason they're hitting jazz clubs and they're treating jazz clubs as, as similar as they do with all the tavern licenses in town. So if you don't serve food, you can no longer have people inside eating or no longer have people inside drinking, which means Dave Gemelo, the great Dave Gemelo up there at the green mill, he cannot have people in the green mill having a beer and watching a jazz performance because he doesn't serve food. So at some point somebody will, explain all of this to me because none of that makes sense and there's only a handful of clubs in town that this is going to affect and they're dying to stay open so hopefully somebody at the city can take a look at this the jazz showcase is in the similar situation but i texted back and forth with wayne joe and wayne siegel the founders and uh he's actually going to do music this weekend just no alcohol sales which you know I'm, I'm glad he's doing that. He's trying to keep the music happening. He's also trying to keep the place happening. So if you have a chance, get over there, call in advance, get the reservations going, because it is uh, essential that the Jazz Showcase doesn't close up. The Greenville doesn't close up. Winters is on a hiatus right now and so many other clubs and venues. So support whoever you can, buy a recording, buy uh, some merchandise from the different venues. And of course, all the musicians are hurting as well. So buy a recording buy some merchandise from them, get out, support their live streams, hit them up on the tip jars, all that good stuff. And speaking of recordings and speaking of virtual things, I'm excited. We're, we're, this is the first time I've talked to Roxy Koss, and uh, I really just enjoyed her recording. So let me bring her up on the screen. Roxy, how are you? It's great to have you on today. Hi, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, I I've, I got the... Uh, the so you're putting out Quintet, which you put out last year in August, and you you have it up two different ways. I know you told me that before we came on, you sold a, a CD, you know, the physical CD, did all the all the promo, got radio play, did all of that good stuff. But then the interesting thing is, is you also have a video album, so you can doc you documented the entire way you put the entire recording together, which seems pretty, you know, ideal for this kind of a situation where everybody is at home and everybody is able to sit there and view and we're all virtually connected these days so why don't we right off the bat talk a little bit about this recording now as i told you when we were when i first uh brought you up before we came on live today 
Um, you know, this is right up my alley because I love I love the fact that it's straight ahead. A lot of it is straight ahead. You guys are just ripping and it's very creative. You've got a lot of original compositions on here. And then you also have a, a standard that that uh, all or nothing at all. But you do it with a Latin feel, which I love that it lays perfectly with that stuff. So let's start from the beginning. How did you come up with the concept for this recording and some of the tunes on it? Because I love some of the tunes and I love the names of some of the tunes too, but we can get more specific into that here as we talk. So how did you decide to come out with this conceptual album? It actually started from the idea of the video. So I, you know, looking at just kind of like what, you know, is it even worth it to put out a CD these days? Like as a jazz musician, how many are you going to sell? You know, how do we utilize this sort of, structure that was you know built in a different time before this technology before the industry was the way it is now um and now of course with covid it's completely changed again but that's a different story um so i i just thought that like you know the content that people want is video because you know yes they can hear the music but they can also experience something visual and it's just easier to get people's attention these days um and it's fun to be able to see the process and so with video in mind i thought well it would be great to have um, sort of my greatest hits, which is, sounds silly because um, I'm relatively young, but um, I, I had recorded four albums. This is my fifth. And um, I finally sort of feel like I have um, a band that's consistent and that, you know, we, we've been touring together more than in the past. And so I noticed that whenever I recorded a new album, all the material was brand new and we were just exploring it. But since we've been touring, we kind of had a collection of tunes that had become our favorites mm -hmm. over the years. And so the idea was, here's where the band's at now. This is where the music has evolved to. And so I selected one or each of the previous albums um, and they were all original compositions of mine um, and then added All or Nothing at All, which was like a new arrangement of that standard. Um, and then we went into the studio and we didn't have to rehearse because, of course, it was all stuff we had been touring with. And we just laid it down live. And then we were able to, because it it was comfortable, we could capture it live. We didn't have to make a ton of edits or anything like that. So we were able to match the video to the recording that was released um, and mastered. So that was the process. Well, I, you know, I love the process and there's so much there that, we, that you're talking about. But let's back up a little bit because... This is something that I love talking to musicians about, you know, from me starting Chicago Jazz Magazine in 2002, I've been having these conversations and the fact that I'm a musician as well, I can relate on both sides of the business thing. But to your point, you're right. I mean, does it make sense to put out a recording? Does it make sense to put out a video? I mean, what, where are you going to get the most traction, especially with social media? There's so many different things you can do with video to drop things. Are people going to really listen to tracks if they can just scroll on their phone and they can watch a video? Where did you feel like you got the most traction? Was it, did the video actually, you think, feed into people purchasing the recording and purchasing those tracks? Or did you feel like maybe people watched the video, really dug it, and came out to your shows more? Or, or you built an audience on social because of it? Um, it's hard to say. Yeah. I think that you know the biggest thing I've gathered from this process in general has just been that the more things you can hit people, the better because everyone's going to respond differently. Some people really like to just put that CD in their CD player in their car. Some people, you know, love to go on YouTube for hours and go adventuring on YouTube. Some people just want to hear live music and leave it there when they go home. Mm -hmm. So 
with that in mind, you know, we can do, I think I can do a better job. We can all do a better job as jazz musicians these days of trying to figure out how can I connect with an audience and build that audience and give them something that they can bring into their regular lives. Um, so I, I don't think I can say exactly what was more or less successful or what led to what. What I do know is that I, I expected lots of views on the videos initially, and that didn't happen so much. I've noticed that the longer the video's out, the more views it gains. So it's continuing to get views. And I think that that is important to just start having, in the same way it's important to have a discography build over your career, I think it's gonna be equally or more important to have um, a canon of videos that builds over time. And the thing that's gonna happen is what was happening to me is that if you don't control what content is out there, others will. People take videos of me at my concerts or at a jam session or something yeah. that I didn't know was recorded and they publish that and then that's representing you. So the more you can flood the internet with things that you want out there, the better in terms of people hearing the music you want to get them to hear. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's easy to share. Like if you if you put a video out there, people can share it with their friends and then that circle has a potential to grow. And again, the response to that's going to vary by individual, I think. You know, that that's a great point. And that's one of my pet peeves, too, is that, you know, some of these musicians that I love in town or out of town and you look and you're like, OK, you know what? Like we used to do some promo stuff in Chicago Jazz Magazine for different clubs when there was actually music in clubs. Go figure. I remember that time. It was a while ago. But, you know, they used to come into town. So we would try to put together a promo video. And it was a lot of it was horrible video that somebody in the crowd like is holding the thing vertically and going like this and that. And you're right, because, you know, if that's the only video that's circulating and it gets like 7000 views on it. And now that there it is, there's your promo video that somebody's grandma had the phone sideways and they were going like this. That's all you have. And I, I'm a big believer, too, in that longevity, because to your point, I mean, like. I was checking out your video today and now I want to go down the wormhole and check out some of these other videos that you put out, but the recording quality is so good and the, the, the video quality is so good. And then the audio quality is so good. It makes you want more. I mean, if, if the video was like this and you were playing somewhere, maybe you're playing at smalls or something and, and it's sideways and it's going like this, I might not want to go check that out and then it won't get that traction. So I think you're right because you put out a quality product and you hit the everybody in all these different spots. And to your point, it'll stay up there forever and it'll just keep getting momentum, 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 which which is like kind of the key, right? It's longevity. It's not, you know, the jazz musicians are not, we're not like pop stars here. We want to build out, we want to build out our, our discography and our, our repertoire list. And it's a great way to connect with people. So, you know, I, I love the fact that you're hitting all these different points and doing doing all of the gamut. And you were thinking about it when you were recording the album, because how many times does that happen? Usually it's like, oh, shoot, maybe we should make a video now. Oh, man. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I, I love the fact that you're thinking about that. Now, let's talk a little bit about your band and the video specifically that I saw was Don't Cross the Cost. And, you know, first of all, as I said, uh, the recording quality is great. It is crisp. It is popping. Reminded me a lot of like, you know, um, I, I'm hearing Charlie Parker in there. I'm hearing Dexter Gordon in there. I'm hearing some really, you know, grooving slash, you know, fast melodic lines. I mean, 
you know, was this a tune you guys must have played this tune a million times when you were traveling? Because this isn't something that you just roll into the studio and just throw down the way you did. But I loved it because it really got a hold of the entire live performance, but it's so crisp and popping. So talk a little bit about the band and talk about this tune specifically. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this this tune, it's so funny. Uh, it became sort of our theme song. And part of it, I think, is just the title um, because <laughs> it, it serves to introduce the band. And, you know, it came from I was touring with Jeremy Pelt's band and everywhere we went, the promoters mispronounced my last name. They said cross. And he said, you have to write a tune called Don't Cross the Cough. And so <laughs> I thought of it as sort of, yeah, let's make this like everybody can solo on this, take a little bit and we can get kind of free. But what happened was when I first recorded this tune back in, I don't know, 2015 or something on restless idealism, um, everybody was so worried with playing the melody correctly that we didn't really get anywhere. <laughs> so yeah, we totally kept playing it and it really evolved into a thing where it's so straight ahead harmonically. It's very, you know, diatonic and it's, traditional jazz harmony it sounds like it could be a standard or something that yeah. in terms of the chord changes and that really frees us up to just get 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 crazy and and listen to each other and play off each other and go different directions which is important when you're touring you don't want to play something the same way every time and so having that freedom and to play that first in the set usually it really sets the tone for us to like get get creative and explore more improvisation and stuff like that yeah now talk a little bit about who's in your band because it's a younger band obviously i mean you're young it's a younger band but um you know all of you are playing like you've been you know seasoned veterans here so talk a little bit about did you go to school with some of these guys have you been playing with them around new york for a long time i mean who, who who's in the band yeah um so i'm very lucky i feel that um i found musicians you know really committed to playing my music and i think that that's a huge if not the biggest part of this which is like you know it, it's hard because in i think in a in the past um band leaders had the the chance to book like four month tours or nine month tours or even like two week tours yeah. it just doesn't happen anymore the same to the same frequency so um you can't ask somebody to be in your band in the same way. Like that's just not as much a thing. New York musicians kind of just like, Oh, can you play on this gig? It's gig to gig. And so, um, a couple of years ago I had the, the fortune to have a regular gig. And this, my first regular gig was back in 2008. And it's when I started the Roxy Pass quintet, um, in its first formation. Um, from there it evolved a lot. That's been 12 years now, crazily enough. Um, <laughs> And it, at first it was some people from school, which was, uh, I went to William Patterson University in New Jersey, and it was some people from City College because I had just moved to New York City right nearby. And so I was kind of meeting people from that scene. Um, that just sort of evolved naturally as I met new players and, and kind of got involved in different scenes. Um, I, I, the first band member I want to talk about is Alex Wince, because he was the first one to join the band. Um, I met him through just some, some gigs around the city we were doing with a singer. And um, I was making the transition from playing as with a trumpet player as the second sort of horn <laughs> instrument in the quintet. Yeah. And I wanted to start uh, exploring the guitar and tenor soprano sound. Um, I was really into like Kurt Rosenwinkel playing with Mark Turner. And I, mm -hmm. I, I wanted somebody who could still swing really hard because a lot of my stuff is like post-bop, Blakey-ish kind of yep. thing. Yep. Um, but also deal with like modern harmony and reading which is super important because 
my, a lot of my compositions like don't cross the cross are just complicated melodies or things that you know you have to be able to read so Alex Wentz was a perfect fit he at the time was finishing up at Juilliard and I just met him through some mutual friends and um so we started playing um and then this was a couple years you know into the band at this point 2012 or so I got another uh, regular gig and these these regular gigs are so important I think to the development of any real band over time mm -hmm. and so that's why you know I kind of want to highlight this so Smoke Jazz Club in New York um, brought us in weekly and this happened for a couple of years so it's super important to the band development and allowed me to experiment with that new guitar sound um, and I recorded Restless Idealism around that time and so that was sort of like the new uh, the new version of the quintet um, and I, at that time, recorded with uh, Willie Jones and Desron Douglas, and I had been touring with them through Jeremy and through a band called the Mactet that Willie and Jeremy co-lead. Hmm. Um, so I knew I wanted to record with that rhythm section, and Jeremy was like a special guest. Um, but the problem was they're they're all stars, so they were so busy when it came to gigging, they they just weren't available, even if they wanted to be there, yeah. right? So. Yeah. I needed a, a practical solution for that. And um, at the time, similarly, the pianist was Chris Patashall, and he became really busy touring with different bands like Jameson, uh, Ross, and just different people. So um, I got a third residency, <laughs> and this is the, sort of the, the third formation, but really the beginning of what is now the quintet. And I played with a ton of different musicians that were friends, and um, it just it was partly at that point like I said, not only finding musicians who can read and swing, but who support each other and play well yeah. together. Like the chemistry between them, especially bass and drums is super important. And, um, and then also is available and then just the personal chemistry. And so, um, the drummer, Jimmy McBride, also a grad of Juilliard. Um, so he was sort of in that same scene. I met him through, you know, Alex and other, other people that were mm -hmm. friends in that group. And, um, Rick Rosato, the bass player, um, you know, it, again, we all kind of just came together in this peer group that was sort of from different schools. Um, but really the musicians who were on the scene in my age group, really incredible players. And then the last piece of the puzzle to join was Mickey. We had Glenn Zaleski on our third record. Yeah, third record, Chasing the Unicorn. And then Glenn became really too popular. You know, he was touring with Robbie Coltrane and all these people. Yeah, so, yeah. um at that point, I was looking for a pianist, and Mickey Yamanaka ended up being the perfect fit. She she was the first person that I ever played with who was like, Roxy, I love your music. I've been sleeping with it. <laughs> and she just <laughs> she would like play the tunes and go to sleep to try to learn them. And I was like, that's so cool. Like, and so that's just an example of the dedication of somebody who you know really wants to be there because yeah. there's so much music to be played. It's not going to be the right fit for everybody, but um, all of these cats came together and I, I do I feel very fortunate to have found people dedicated to the music dedicated to like connecting on a personal level and putting the time in to like take it off of what I wrote and what my initial intent was and taking it something further that they can contribute to creating well you know it, it there's there's so much there and I think it all comes back to two things number one it's and it's you know I know it's extremely hard to find musicians that will do something consistently and just go all in like, okay, I'm playing, we've got this gig. Oh, well, you could play a, th play a gig for a thousand bucks. Nope. I've got this gig. This is what I'm doing. Or I'm going on tour or something. 
So you really do need people that are totally committed, especially since you're composing all of these tunes. It's impossible to get the, the same cohesiveness if you're playing with a band and then all of a sudden you have to have somebody subbing in and out all the time. It's just impossible to really get that creativity all the way to where you want those compositions to go. But then also the fact that you've had three residencies. I mean, like that that's you get the cohesive band and then you get that steady gig. You know, I, I mean, it's it's a rare commodity these days, but but you're able to do it. And and that's now it all makes sense why this music sounds so incredible, because you guys have to play together a lot. I mean, that's what always drives me a little crazy with jazz musicians and not to their fault. But I mean, you know, that's kind of the one one form of music that when you're a cohesive band playing together all the time, this is kind of like the most important music to be able to do that with. And so many of us, I'm guilty. Yeah, we're not. We're out, okay. Oh, go play a gig here. Go play a gig there and stuff. So, you know, hats off. But I think that, that that's so difficult. And I'm glad you explained it this way because it's so difficult to find like-minded people to just commit and go all in. But now here's the product afterwards. Here it is, right? Yeah. You know, so let's talk a little bit about so I, I love your, and, and this is going to lead into some of these tunes too that are on the recording. So if you look at, at Roxy's website, it's musician, composer, and activist. I love that. And then we should also mention she founded women in jazz, the Women in Jazz organization, which is up for a 501c3. They're working through that right now. And then you're also on the board of Jen, the Jazz Educators Network, which I, I know Mary Jo Papich very well here in Chicago, and I know she founded that. And so you're on the board of directors there. You're also teaching, I believe. You're in the Diva Jazz Orchestra. So you have all of this stuff happening. But that activist thing, I'm curious about that because I know there's some tunes on this CD. The one that sticks out is Mr. President. We talked a little bit, but I want you to talk about that. But then the other one, Females Are Strong as Hell. I love that title. That's like, I mean, give me a break, man. That's like my wife is like, you know, clapping, jumping up and down right now over here in the other room because she loves that title too. So. Let's talk a little bit about some of these tunes that are on here. Why don't you take on Mr. President first? Because I guessed it before we came on. I'm like, does that have something to do with Donald Trump? And you're like, yeah, it does, actually. So I could hear it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I, you know, this term activist came about around the same time as uh, founding Weijo, Women in Jazz Organization, and this fourth album that I released called The Future is Female. And all of this stuff, I just, I realized that, you know, every time I took the bandstand, I felt like I was being an activist. And I didn't realize it for the beginning of my career. But once I started to share my experience of what being a jazz musician means to me with other women, I realized that it was very similar and very different from the experience of my male peers. Mm -hmm. um, and really just the fact that like, people don't expect you to play. <laughs> people don't expect you to play a saxophone. They don't expect you to play jazz and they don't expect you to play well. Um, and so <laughs> that in a nutshell leads to very many other issues, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then looking at my heroes and looking at what does music mean? What does it mean to be an artist? Um, I follow, you know, or hope to follow in the footsteps of someone like Duke Ellington or Max Roach or somebody who, you know, Charles Mingus, these were activists yeah. and, you know, they did not separate uh, music from what was going on in the culture. In fact, their music was a direct result to, a uh, contribution to, 
uh, what was going on in the culture and it was reflecting what was going on in the culture. And it's a, an important part of our history and jazz as a music, right? It's black American music. And it's from this experience of uh, resilience out of oppression. And mm-hmm. so um, I didn't realize when I got into it that that's what I wanted to do or what was going to happen or what was already happening. But through my experience, you know, I just realized like I want being a musician to represent more than just notes. When I step on stage, whether I like it or not, I am representing something to young girls that they can do this. And so I want to, I want to lean into that more and say like, this song is about this topic because it is, whether I tell the audience that or not, that's my truth is that I, I'm writing music about my experience and my experience is largely, um, in revolt of what is, yeah. <laughs> you know, common. So I, I wanted to start sharing that more openly with my audience. Um, so that's kind of where that title came from is it also holds me accountable to say like, I'm going to start speaking out more on other issues that I haven't been as open about. Um, and so I've been, you know, exploring that through Instagram a little bit, but I think, um, you know, in, in terms of the tune titles, I, like I said, it's, it's just an honest reflection of what's going on for me. So if we back up a little bit to restless idealism, it, the same process was going on for me compositionally that I was dealing with some, you know, whatever humans are dealing with in any given moment. At that time for me, it was this transition from student to professional. It was like, now that I'm over that whole part of my life, who am I? What career am I building? And a lot of those themes for me were about sort of mental and emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I can't just wait for someone to call me for a gig. I have to make things happen for myself. So those titles, those tune titles, like that one was called Waiting, right? And there was a lot of things on that album perspective and all these sort of introspective titles that reflected what I was going through in my regular life outside of music. Um, to me, they're they're all the same. And so the natural progression Uh, Chasing the Unicorn was largely about this next step of really like going beyond, um, you know, realizing yourself, but also reaching to say, okay, I want to be, I want to realize my full potential and I want to like not put boundaries on myself. And so there was a lot of symbology in those two titles as well. So as we move into the future as female and we get into females are strong as hell, Mr. President, nevertheless, she persisted, feminist AF. All of these tunes, I, when I wrote them, it was very much either I'm writing this tune about this subject matter, Mm -hmm. or I was looking at the existing material and saying like, what is this tune about? I think it represents this attitude really well. Um, Specifically, Mr. President, I, you know, felt that that him, you know, Donald Trump getting elected reflected very much so on a national level something I had been experiencing in my day-to-day life as a woman in jazz, which is like this man got elected, he got the job, um, and he doesn't have any experience. (laughs) He is uh, bigoted and misogynistic and racist. Um, You know, he's he's expressing things that don't make him necessarily the best candidate and even didn't win the popular election, However, he's he's being placed in a position of power over somebody who does have experience, who, you know, is better for the job objectively, if we look at, like, facts. Okay. Um, 
I had been experiencing that just in life as a musician, because in jazz, for those of you who are not familiar with jazz, <laughs> there are not very many women instrumentalists. So, um, it, you know, just sort of being the only one, I, I, I felt the need to speak out about, you know, not just Mr. President, but just this issue of being a woman in society. And obviously this was a large societal movement going on with Me Too. The women's march is happening and all of this. Um, Females Are Strong as Hell was a, a grab nod to the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt uh, Netflix series, that theme song. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just trying to grab things that people, you know, when I go to play these tunes on the bandstand on stage, I can say to the audience, this is what I feel when I play this music. This is what this song is about. And hopefully they can get a deeper meaning than just listening to notes. Cause a lot of people, um, don't have music education. They don't have the literacy to understand the music in a technical aspect. But if you tell them what you're feeling and what your intent was, I think it can be a deeper experience because we don't have a singer in the band. We don't have lyrics. It's not literal, but if you can imagine, you know, and I, I do, when I perform, I describe these things. Like if I play Mr. President, you know, sometimes when we play it, I'll really give a fuller description of like, what that experience meant to me so that when the music happens, they can go through that journey with me. So I, I found that I've, since I've made that shift towards activism in the music, I mm -hmm. do have a deeper connection with many audience members, which is, is really nice. Well, I mean, the way you just described all of that, I mean, it makes total sense. I mean, you have a, you have a, a thought behind anything that you're playing. I mean, you know, as a musician, just in general, as a musician, you always want to have emotion behind what you're playing. You always want to have a purpose behind what you're playing, regardless of whether you're playing a standard or you're playing something that you wrote or something that is meaningful. But I think you're you're taking this to another level, which also takes your music and your playing to another level. But then it also takes that relationship connection, which is the hardest part about jazz is connecting the performer to the audience and having them get that connection where they want to keep coming back or they will get so involved in the music. I mean, I'm a big fan of storytelling, right? So I love it when I go and see somebody play and they tell me something about what this tune is that they're about to play and why they wrote it and the meaning behind it. And you have such a deep meaning behind it. And I love how you connect the female aspect of being a jazz musician, which you are absolutely right. I mean, I don't think about it, but I mean, you know, you can, I can sit there as a drummer. I can look around and if a saxophone player came up who was a female, everybody would be like, Oh, who's that? What's going on there? You know? And then being able to play at such a high level that blows them away even again. Right. They don't have a clue, but I love the fact that you're able to take that and turn it into something that I believe you're starting to set and starting to push forward. And, and, you know, you're right. You inspire younger ladies that are coming up in, in the jazz field, because if they see you on the stage doing this, they see you recording, they see you touring and all that stuff. That's another huge motivator. I mean, you know, I, I remember 25 years ago, there was a handful of really smoking jazz players that were female. Now there's a whole heck of a lot. And there's a whole heck of a lot of students coming up that way too. So I love the fact that you're, you're taking on, I don't want to call it a cause. I mean, it's, 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 it's you, it's your personality. It's your mission behind why you're doing this. And 
tying it into your composition and then tying it into relating to a music to a to a musical fan who's sitting there in the audience all of that is incredible and i can only see it growing into the future and the fact that then you start organizations like women in jazz women in jazz organization sounds like it all ties into what you're talking about here as well right i mean so talk a little bit about that organization and how you got it started what the motivation was, which I think you probably just told me what the motivation was and, and how you've connected. You've got over 500 members now. Yeah. Um, so it, it, you know, it started around that same time um, after the election. And I felt like I wanted to, um, I wanted to be able to say, you know, I did my best at trying to shape my own community and make it a better place than I found it leave it a better place than I found it. And there were a few different groups of women around New York kind of starting um, little circles of things that you could tell there was a need for something. And um, my friend Aubrey Johnson and I were, were reading some books about sexism and about um, feminism in the workplace and different things like this. And um, I, I thought of the idea to just kind of get together with some women in jazz and talk about our experiences. And that was from some gigs I had had with Diva, um, where we had a chance to do that. And I found it was so important. And, um, I, there were, like I said, a few different circles of this thing starting to happen. So I said, wouldn't it be nice if we wouldn't, didn't have to like recreate the same work that we're all doing. Why don't we all come together stronger together, you know, um, and so I started putting a list together of just like women I knew on the scene. And I thought it, at first I thought it could be something social. I thought it would be nice to actually see women in my life. Cause usually it's only men every day when I go to the gig. Yeah, um, yeah. And as I started to create this list, I realized it was much, much, much bigger than I anticipated. I thought it would be like 20 max people. Mm -hmm. And the, the initial list without even doing any online research was a hundred people off the top of my head. Huh. And I thought, Oh my gosh, this is, we need an organization. I can't just like make this a social thing with my agenda. It needs to be bigger than me as an individual. It needs to be something that services all of these women's needs and it needs to be super inclusive. And the goal should be that if you are a woman and you play jazz, you want to be a part of this thing because we're all in this together. We all have very similar experiences and we need help. We need resources that we're not getting. We need opportunities we're not getting. So the three, um, you know, major, I, I call them the, the three pillars of the organization are number one, trying to deal with the self, the individual member. So mm -hmm. empowerment, education, um, all of that. And then the second pillar is the community aspect. So um, creating a network where we can talk with each other, support group, we can hire each other, you know, professionally, that side of things. But the idea of sharing resources, educating each other, all of that. Um, and then the, the third column, the third aspect of the organization is external. And that's maybe the, the biggest. It gets bigger and bigger, right? Um, but, you know, dealing with how do we actually change the scene, make changes? Yeah. How do we, you know, how do we have conversations with our male peers? How do we engage the community? Um, and this also deals with the, the younger generation. So one of the things that's been most successful so far is our mentorship program. And that would fall into the third uh, tier of things, which is just community engagement. Um, we have a collegiate mentorship program, which actually is open right now for applicants. And I would really encourage any collegiate students who are women or non-binary musicians to apply to this program. 
um, we match you with um, somebody from Weijo, a member, so a world-class jazz musician. And most of us didn't have this opportunity until much later in our career. Most of us as young musicians didn't know that there were other people like us out there. And that's really important to see yourself in somebody that you look up to. Um, yeah, and we should, and we so, should mention too, just to, we should we should mention too, just because to that point, I mean, you know, you, you go out, you go to a jam session or you're sitting in or something when you're first coming up, it's all guys for the most part. I mean, there's a, you're not going to a jam session usually and, and there's like, you know, a, a lot of females on stage. So to your point, I, I, I mean, that makes total sense to me. I love it. Keep going. I just wanted to break in so people could understand that because that mentorship you didn't get it till later just because you probably were sitting in and then, you know, you started meeting different musicians that were female at that point. But I mean, I, I love the fact that the younger kids can actually get mentorship from world-class musicians who have experienced what they had to experience. So hopefully the younger kids don't have to experience what you experienced because they have a mentor there to talk to and understand and get pushed forward. Yeah, absolutely. And as, as many of us who have taught know, you learn by teaching, you learn so much. And so it also is really, you know, I think fulfilling for the mentors, the, the Weijo members to be able to, you know, help somebody and, and be there and realize that they're not alone in those experiences too. So it, it goes both ways, but yeah, you know, speaking of Chicago, I know you asked me earlier, um, in terms of Chicago membership and, you know, one of the people who really helped me when I moved to New York was Sherelle Cassidy and she's now a Chicago musician, um, mm -hmm. alto, amazing alto and, and tenor saxophonist. Um, and she, she really was looking out for young women coming into the New York scene for years, 15 years. She was like, okay, you're new on the scene. What gigs can I hook you up with? Like, what can I do for you? Because, you know, that's what it takes. It takes yep. somebody to say, like, we need to be in this together. So, yeah, I just wanted to say that that's one of our yeah. our members. No, and I, she's I, a great friend of mine. And, and I wouldn't, you know, be here without her. And, and those relationships matter. And that's how jazz works. Like you said, you go to the jam session, you meet somebody, they take you under their wing. And this has happened to me. This anybody who's anybody, this has happened to them from multiple people. Right. This is how we continue the art form. This is how we spread the knowledge. This is how we. Um, network to get other gigs and opportunities. Um, so yeah, super important. Well, and, and then and, and 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 it's also one of those 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 motivational things because I mean you're you're probably the same experience as me, right? I walked in somewhere and I sat in. I didn't know anybody, and I'm sitting in, and I had a great experience because the house drummer said made friends with me and rusty jones the great rusty jones the great late rusty jones and he made friends you know and boom right off the bat and that inspired me to keep coming back and then i met another guy i met john bainey and i met this guy and that guy and this guy and all of a sudden i knew all these people but each person i met eric schneider a great saxophone player here in chicago right so you know each person i met gave me more motivation because they were encouraging and they were pushing me along and they were telling me, giving me little pointers and telling me what I was doing wrong or not wrong. But you could tell that it was all for the betterment of your playing rather than like, you know, get out of here, you stupid kid. What are you doing here? Get out. You get, well, I got a couple of that too, but you know, I, I didn't, I don't like those people anyway, so who cares? But, yeah. you know, <laughs> but it, to your point, I mean, for, for them to be able to talk to somebody like yourself and, and, you know, Hey, ask questions and be able to run things past you. And you've already had those experience. It's so powerful. You know, I love that. I love that whole concept. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so we've evolved and we started with monthly meetings, um, which we are hoping now to kind of transfer that energy into more committee committee work so we can tackle more projects like the mentorship or putting on concerts or, you know, really providing more concrete opportunities for the members. Um, but like you said, and like you know, while uh, this stuff um, comes from the, the goodness of our hearts, so it's, it's a rough thing for a, a full-time musician group to try to tackle. And I have an amazing leadership team right now to hear Clayton and Allegra Levy, um, you know, but we're all musicians, full-time musicians. Right. So um, it's, well, it's, 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 uh, you know, yeah, it's a big project and to get something off the ground from the start is a big project as you, as you know, you know, what, um, I know you froze up a little bit, so I'm going to, I'm going to lead this in and hopefully you're, ah, there we go. Um, what's the website? Where can everybody go and how can we help here in Chicago to push this out and get the word out and get more people connected with women in jazz organization? What's the website we should send people to? Wejo.org. So W-E-A-R-E-W-I-J-O.org. Okay, good. And we'll link that up. And uh, now that we're connected, you've got to send me all the information so we can send it out on chicagojazz.com, chicagojazzmagazine.com, and get more people here in Chicago connected with you and that organization because it's so important. Um, last thing before I let you go is – I looked at your website. Now, do you have some things coming up in September at Smalls? Because I know that they do the virtual thing and they do the live streaming stuff and everything. Is that is that coming up in uh, September 6th and 7th? Did I read that correctly at Smalls? No. In fact, I think that was last year. Oh, um, all right. The, but we are, we are playing Smalls. Um, we have not confirmed the date, but it, it should be August or early September. So... Definitely look for us um, as soon as they're confirmed. But um, yeah, we, we played there last year. That was our sort of CD release in New York was September 6th and 7th. And okay. well, it's tell, about time. It's the annual time for us to play. So. Yeah, see? So, so tell, them, tell them Mike Jeffers from Chicago Jazz Magazine said you've got a gig there and that you're going to get paid an okay. enormous amounts of money. And I'm sure they won't return your call. But... <laughs> No, no, we, I've actually been talking to Spike who, who, you know, yeah. runs the club and us in there soon. So I should be able to announce that date shortly. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So everybody should go over to roxycost.com to find out about the recording to check out. Cause I know there's links over to watch the videos and get all the information there. Also, I should tell you, cause you can't see the, uh, the comments I'm getting here, but Bobby Broom, uh, chimed in and said Roxy. So I know he's oh. watching. And uh, oh, Bobby, hi, Bobby. <laughs> he's the best, isn't he? Yes, I think we have a delay. But anyway, Bobby played my music. I did a Chicago version of the quintet and he was it was an honor to play with him. And um, yeah. Hi. Love to you. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got a whole bunch of other people that are just inspired by what you're talking about here on the interview. So I'm glad we talked about all of this. I mean, you've been really inspiring to me. So again, we're connected now. So let's let, let us help you get the word out about anything you have happening. And of course, hopefully when we get back to normal times, you'll be able to actually come through and maybe play gig here in Chicago, like in person and we'll all get to see you play live. But in the meantime, everybody head over to Roxy 
Com. It's all linked up below. And uh, check all of this stuff out and connect with her. Jump on her newsletters and sign up and connect with her on social so that we can find out what's happening here. And Roxy, congratulations. I look forward to meeting you in person at some point and uh, seeing you here in Chicago. And, uh, you know, the, the recording's awesome and I love everything that you're doing. Keep it up. And any way we can help you, just let me know. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And thanks for all the support for jazz, everybody. Thanks for watching. Definitely. All right. Thanks, Roxy. Take care. Bye. All right. Roxy cause I'll tell you, I'm telling you, man, it, it is uh it's a killing CD and uh, you know, it, it, how about what she's doing? I mean, I know how difficult it is to like, start a jazz magazine hey wow who did that oh i started a jazz magazine with zero budget beating the pavement working unbelievable months hours for zero money getting the ball rolling getting it off the ground making the connections doing all that stuff you know i could i could interview myself one day about all of that but nobody would want to hear about it but i will tell you this i know where she's coming from and everything that she's talking about is so important and she's doing such a such an important uh, such important work with this organization um, and the fact that she's tying it into her performing and tying it in to the music she's composing, uh, you know, and she's, she's, she's young too. So, I mean, I can't wait to see where all of this goes in the next five, 10, 15, 20 years. I got a feeling we're going to hear a lot about the organization and also a lot about Roxy costs. And hopefully we will see her here in Chicago and uh, maybe we'll even have her at the Epiphany Center for the Arts once we get back up and running and getting a little bit normal. That would be fun, too. You know, maybe we could tie something in with a women in jazz organization and, and kick something off here in Chicago. We'll have to connect with Roxy on that. But, hey, I appreciate everyone watching. As usual, we had a little bit uh, a later time start, 6.15, but everybody chimed in. I love the fact that everybody was here. I love, events, love the uh, Love the likes. Love the thumbs up. The more, the merrier. Please keep them coming. All right, so tomorrow, I'm off tomorrow. I'm actually, we're doing a video shoot for the Department of Cultural Affairs Special Events and the Southside Jazz Coalition at the Epiphany Center for the Arts tomorrow. So that's going to launch in September. So stay tuned for that. But Friday, I'm back with Dave Katzman and Chicago Blues and Beyond and our special guest, Little Ed, the legend. Little Ed, he'll be here. So if you like what you're hearing, be sure to tell your neighbors, tell your family. As I always say, call the grandkids. Let them all know. 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Friday, we will be back. Chicago Music Revealed. It will be episode 79. 79. 79. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, get ready. We're going to eat the first part of next week. We're rocking and rolling. Everybody take care. Everybody stay safe. And I will see you on the next broadcast.